Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. When the food is good, it doesn't even have to be good, it just has to be good enough. You feel an enormous sense of pride and accomplishment that you've cooked something. When you cook something, are you do you have to take a bite before other people or do you want confirmation from somebody you trust that it's edible? I'm ready to go. I you know, I just it's it's a look for me. I want to know that it looks like it's cooked. For everything that I cook, I have to Liz has to take a bite so that I know it's not gonna make anyone sick. So Why in other I words, it's, take it's the okay first to make her sick. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I know I know she'll tell me the truth. This is General George Washington, and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. Nobody wants to hear what I'm going to say now about the Nats, who lost oh. last night one nothing, who were in a position with two on and nobody out, and the top of their Air order assisted. up. Lane Thomas, who is a good hitter, strikes out. Dominic Smith, who's terrible, I have no hit. idea Can't why hit. they have him. He's, he's, he's like still swinging. a shadow of Josh Bell, who they got rid of, is so much better. And not even not, not a good fielder either. I don't know what anyone sees in Dominic Smith, who plays every inning of every game. He struck out, went higher and higher on the strikes. For the third one, it's like he's staring down the pitcher, going, "You're not going to throw it up there again." Yep. It's even higher. Yeah, and he strikes out, and these are all swinging, by the way. And Joey Manessis, who was great last year, who was a great story out of the Mexican League, earned himself earned himself a deal. Can't hit this year. Can't hit. Can't hit. Strikes out. Robles like. You know. Yeah, it strikes out. So they don't get a run. They don't tie. And and Josiah Gray is just good enough to lose by one run. 0-4. Oh you know, it, it doesn't matter. He can lose one nothing or 6-5 or 4-3. He loses. Yeah. He doesn't actually win the game. So I'm... I'm you you think I'm overreacting? I think it's still very early in this uh, in sort of looking at the return on that trade. I would say you can't really judge a pitcher like that who goes through five or so innings and you give him zero runs. Zero uh, runs. They, they they hit for no power. Uh, they string they have no together. Batter. But, you, there's yeah. no one you're afraid the, of. Dean Kramer, the the Orioles pitcher, came into that game with an ERA over nine and managed to look like Max Scherzer yeah, against the uh, didn't give the up any Nats runs lineup. in a one nothing yeah. game. Yeah, when you win it. You didn't give up any runs. Yeah. <laughs> yes. right, he didn't give up any runs. Well, they're 5-12. and 12. Yeah. Um, Felt like I made the wrong teams, trip yesterday yeah, some, some, when, some I was out, when I was outside Camden Yards midday waiting for the start. Yeah. I mean, you went to the aquarium. Right? Yeah. You had a nice time. Spring break trip to the aquarium. We're going to the Nats tonight. Oh, that's oh, great. Okay. That's great. That's great. It's uh, Mackenzie Gordon night. So oh, that's, nice. Yeah. He's so had that's, two good starts. He's, yeah, he's been pretty good. So I, I, I get a call yesterday. I, there are two people I know that are very, very good golfers other than my son who listen to this show. Um, one in, and I just found this out the other day, in Delaware, Eddie Brown listens. So I'm very grateful for that. He's a wonderful player. You remember the time you yeah. played with Eddie? Did he like birdie the first five holes in a row? It birdies a lot. Yeah, I mean, he's a really good player. And Scott Swankey, who used to be a teaching pro. Um, Scott saw me on PTI two days ago where I just said at the end of the show, I can't hit the ball in the air. Hmm. If it's not on the tee, I can't hit it in the air. I stink. I hit it in the ground. I hit it into the sand. I stink. He called me up to tell me, you know, how to how to do better. How to get it in the air. And ultimately what he said was swing the club and let the ball get in the way. Huh? Seems right? so simple. It's very zen. Yeah, and I can't do that, of course. I swing the club and the ball only the top half. Just of the, th- ball the idea that you have of keeping your head down is so bad for your golf swing. Just let everything ev- let everything swing through. Trying to think of Duval. 
David yeah. Duvall as he as so, he turns through. I, Robert I feel Duvall? like people yeah. people who are good at golf like Michael do make it sound really easy. Like you just got to swing through the ball, and then I get out there, and I just yeah. it just seems much much Harder. more difficult than that. <laughs> I don't take it back in the same way every time. No. I take it back. I don't take it back at all half the time. I have a just take a nice easy swing at it, I Tom, do that. I and stink. I just try to kill it every yeah. time. Um, to Chris's left is a a box oh, of yeah. that. I'll, look, I'll show it for people on News Channel 8. Yes, there how about that? Yes. It's a 24-count box of Reggie Bars. Nigel, why don't you tell this story? Well, on the... Um... I don't know if people know what Reggie Bars yeah, are. Let, yeah, let's Chris reset. What with is a Reggie, Reggie Bar? With Reggie okay. on, the, on the wrapper. Reggie Jackson, who um, knew nothing if not himself and who he was. <laughs> Reggie Jackson, when he was a player in Baltimore, he had come from Oakland... And Charlie Finley was selling everybody off, and he went to Baltimore for an hour and a half. And when he was in Baltimore, Reggie Jackson was quoted as saying, if I played in New York, they'd name a candy bar after me. You know, dreams come true, kids. <laughs> Reggie Jackson went to New York, was a great star, uh, got in a controversial fist fight with Billy Martin yes. at one point. Who among um, us. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and Reggie Jackson in the 1978 World Series, I guess it was, Hit three home in the decisive game. Hit three home runs off three different Dodger pitchers on the first pitch each time. On the first pitch, it's the greatest World Series game anybody's ever had. Yes, and so the Reggie Bar was invented, and it is a round. It's not a bar. It's a round uh, turtle-like thing of candy mm-hmm. that tastes very much like Snickers. Yes, I would still not agree quite with that. as good as Snickers. Snickers is one of the all-time bars, but Reggie Bars tastes. Very much like Snickers. The size of a peppermint patty, larger? A little bit yeah. larger, but yeah. about that size. Yeah. It rounded. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, sorry, like I'm, feeling, I'm made, feeling the package. These yeah. were made like in a the late patty, 70s. They were made in the late 70s, Reggie Bars. They were, you know, not distributed nationally, I don't think, but they were in New York. And Reggie got his wish. And then by 1981, you know, they had disbanded. So 1981 is 42 years ago. And now the Reggie Bar is being brought back for what we know, we know this much. We don't know where it's manufactured, but we think it's manufactured on Long Island, and we know it's being sold at Bob Bob Howard's Bob Howard's General Store in New Hyde Park, Long Island, which is Mid Island in Nassau County, uh, the home of Bob Avellini, once a quarterback for the, the um, Chicago Bears, who Wilbon remembers as he remembers all quarterbacks for the Bears who ran and couldn't throw. Yes, not throw okay. quarterback. So take pick up where you, where I just left. So off. you told this story on the PTI show the other day, mm-hmm. and uh, and I heard the name Bob Howard Store, and I, thought, and I said I want one. Yeah, you, said, right. you said of course, right. I said of course, <laughs> box of that situation. So I called them up, and uh, I was like, oh, I'll just buy a box. You know, that would be lovely. You know, because I love Reggie bars. Anyone that's had one, oh, these they're are, very good. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're, they're good. Uh, and so I talked to a lovely woman and uh, I you know, gave her my credit card and was like, oh, yeah, this is all be great. American and Express black card. Of, well, of course. Yeah. yeah. I said, my, is it my name? Just my credit? Isn't that worthy? <laughs> um, and then I said, listen, I, I just want to say I'm, I'm so happy to be purchasing from you and not from like Amazon or something like that. I love to go to the direct source and I love what your store is. I went online and it looks as they say, we sell old candy and old toys, too. And yeah. it's a trip back in time to your yeah. childhood for people of a certain age mm-hmm. and uh and i said i'm doing this for for my friend tony who talked about it on on pti she's like 
wait a minute, that was, that was you guys. We've been, you know, wow. We've been wondering how this all happened. Yeah, you know, they, got, they got a lot of, they got a lot of orders. Uh, so they, they took my order and then I got a, a lovely uh, text from her and she said, look, this is on us. We're so thrilled nice? that you've done That's for so us. so nice. Yeah, so nice? it was Eileen and Ronnie and, and I should well, get... They don't, they don't have no idea I do a podcast. Yeah, well, they, they do now. Right. They do now because I said, I'm sure we'll be talking about this in the podcast. And they said, uh, um, you know, thank you. Uh, thank, thank you for putting our little family business that my parents opened 77 oh years ago gosh, on the that's map. That's so cool. So, yes, it, and they included some of those paddle balls. Yeah, the paddle. Yeah, those I love are great those. for the Kids. bouncy ball that always falls off the string <laughs> immediately. <laughs> it falls off, so but great. not before you can hit your brother in the eye. Oh, yes. yes. The plywood yes. turns into a little knife. I was going to yeah. say, and, the and plywood. If, if people want to see a video instruction of this, just watch Blazing Saddles with Mel Brooks. Bang it. Yes. Bang it. You bang yeah. it straight um, up or to the side. Yeah, the it's good, so the fun. The good ones do it to the side. Yes. Yeah, Anybody so, can do it straight. So, yeah. So, if you were in the in the market for some old candy or old toys, go to yeah. Bob Howard's General Store. So we'll we'll also send some of these Reggie bars, and I said I'm accentuating some, not all, to the people at PTI. Yeah, Certainly you can't give them. To, you can't give them to those. But, but we, we think Bring this is a new formula. This is not a 41 year old candy bar, right? No, right. we don't. You're think right, it, we don't. but we think it's the same ingredients and the same makeup and the same. But it's not like an old pack of like Tops baseball cards no. from 1967 no, with yesterday. the gust off I the top one right, and right. ate it. Yes. Ate half of it and, and gave Nigel half of it. It was great. Live and kicking. And you you looked at the expiration date. It was like twenty late twenty three or well, something like could, that. Could yeah, that's just written just that made in. that up. <laughs> yeah. written in, smudged that out. Written in pencil. All right, so let me let me get the one. Chris is here because he's got a book. Oh, what? Can I? You were talking we're about people talk that, about Chris's book. Uh, before we get to that, real quick, you were talking about people that listen to the show. Yeah, who listens? I just wanted to say uh, to Bob Ryan's wife, who apparently listens every single day to the show, and then gives him the rundown. Of why why does she listen? I'm not sure. <laughs> why but, does she so listen? We love it that she does. Uh, yeah. I have. Is it, a, is it Eileen? and the Nats listen now? Is it Eileen? Is that his name? Elaine. 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 So um, thank you. Elaine. And now and now we have Nats tickets. For we have Greg. A, we have a contact. We're not. Oh, Greg has received his tickets. He's got, his tickets. He's I think got he, Alan's tickets. I think he was surprised to see where these tickets are. As he said, uh, not sure my dad deserves this, but I certainly do. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Thank you, Alan. <clears throat> okay. In the next segment, we'll talk about Chris's book. Oh, yeah. But Chris is here, and we have to, we just have to start with this for a few minutes. Fox settled this suit for $790 million dollars. They walked it right up to opening statements oh, yeah. and then caved. Yes. Just totally caved. And Dominion took the money, even though it was only half mm-hmm. of what Dominion was suing for. And Dominion was going to win. It seems, I'm they no lawyer, going, but yes. They were going to win. What do you make of this? What um, does this say about Fox? So it was supp- And their anchors, whose who's internal memoranda have been already circulated widely That's in the right. media. The. Trial was supposed to start on Monday. It was delayed until Tuesday because there were settlement talks. Yeah. So at that point, I thought, well, they're going to figure out a way to settle this because what, essentially all, the only calculation you have to make is d- does Fox think the trial will cost them more money in the long run than a settlement? Right. And they obviously mm-hmm. made that calculation that this will be more damaging to us financially if this goes all the way through trial, they had just sat a jury yesterday. So it just was starting, like to your point, like just the opening statements. And so I think Fox just decided this is, uh, it's already bad in discovery. A lot of things have come out. Tucker about Carlson and, and Maria Sean Bartiromo, Hannity. Those are the two big guns. Yes. Tucker Carlson and Sean yes. Hannity. Yes. 
their memoranda saying of Trump, Trump's a loon, he's an idiot. What are we doing with this guy? That's already been widely yes. circulated. And so not knowing but suspecting that there was a lot more to come. Oh, yeah. Uh, they were very concerned about that. And they were concerned about the prospect of uh, Dominion had subpoenaed, had asked for a number of their anchors beyond Tucker and, and Hannity, Brett Baer, uh, some of their more serious news anchors, not their primetime hosts, to appear as part of all of this. And I think they just figured that the da- the potential damage done was going to be so vast that they settled. I will note they did that not apologize. They, I was just going to say they do not have to apologize either publicly or on air. They have they acknowledged they made it an admission that that's, maybe some of the stuff in this is true. That twenty that's what they said. twenty claims that were made on air were were false. But but saying that in legal language and that sort of thing is very different than having your seven o'clock anchor come on and say, yes. reading a statement that says we were wrong, yes. you know, a legal statement that says we were wrong. So they avoided that, which I think was huge. And for a lot of people who wanted this to be, look, this wasn't going to be the end of Fox News. No. But for a lot of people who viewed it as the end of Fox News, they feel as though they've been robbed in some meaningful way. Their ratings way. are going to go up. They're, they, they're, the ratings are going to go up. Yeah. And not only are the ratings going to go up, but the, the anchors in question are going to be more strident than ever about the you know what fox stands for and what fox stands for essentially is the destruction of everyone on the left right yeah they don't they don't as what cnbc stands for or Bar- msnbc stands for the destruction of everybody on the right barry diller the sort of media mogul had a great quote they were interviewing him this is before the settlement and they were asking about like how damaging is this to rupert murdoch and how bad is this for fox and barry diller is like what are they going to say about Rupert Murdoch that's going to hurt? I mean, it's like how I feel when people say like, oh, this is the end for Trump. It's no, like, it isn't. What, what, what <laughs> possibly could be said now about him that he either hasn't said or done himself <laughs> that is somehow going to derail? And, and, and that's how I feel about Fox is like it's it's a it, it's a momentum machine that just keeps churning. So there the is, idea there that is it's going to disappear. No, no, it's, it's just ridiculous. No, it's extraordinarily strong. It has unbelievably loyal followers very it's, high ratings. And, they, and 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 they know what they're doing mm-hmm. let me say that mm-hmm. as somebody sort of kind of in this business they know what mm-hmm. they're doing but what will the relationship with donald trump and fox be from now on will it change in any appreciable way so trump put out something before the settlement saying what Fox needs to do is admit that the election was stolen and this will all go away. I was like, well, it's not. A, it's a, it's a, this is literally the worst strategy I've ever heard. Um, I don't know. He has been increasingly critical of Fox over the last, let's call it, five years. Um, they were very supportive of his candidacy early on. There are still people like Hannity and Tucker who are very supportive very of him. Supportive. But, but Trump views supportive as... You can never, ever cover anything that doesn't say that the election wasn't stolen. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just a, it, his standard is so ridiculous. And even they know it wasn't 100%. stolen. A hundred percent. Yes. They've written yes, and 100%. said it it's a, wasn't it's, stolen. Right. Um, and so I think that he he wants a network that's basically just like they just read his press releases. That, that's network. his ideal network. There are networks like One American News and Newsmax that do something pretty close to that. Yeah. They don't have the 
viewership no. of Fox. So I don't think he's ever going to totally be alienated from Fox because of Hannity and because of Tucker, and they continue to be his huge advocates. I feel like every other day, Trump is calling in to Han Every time I flip Hannity's show on, it's just a picture of Trump in a box, and it's like, President Trump on the phone. Like, he just randomly calls in every night but he to, knows, to talk to Hannity. He knows that Hannity thought his claims were lunacy. Yes. And same thing with Tucker. It's these are these are transactional people. It is a transactional business. Donald Trump can get something from Tucker Carlson, and Tucker Carlson clearly benefits from his relationship with Donald Trump. Same thing with Hannity. This is a transaction. If you think these people believe what they are saying, you have not spent a lot of time in the news business. They, it, it, they're more in the entertainment business than they are in the news. Primetime cable. Right. Primetime cable is a different animal than daytime cable. Yes. Primetime cable is is a lot closer to pure entertainment, right? It's it's not just like, and then a train derailed, and then this happened, and this happened. It's very much like, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what's important. I'll tell you. It's meant to be like that. MSNBC has their sort of entertainment folks. CNN has some of their entertainment folks, so I think they're still trying to figure out what to do in primetime. And Fox clearly has it figured out in terms of their primetime. Uh, Hannity, Tucker, Laura Ingram. You're getting very pro-Trump, very conservative views. They pick stories that are might be a small little story in the grand scheme of things, but they blow up into a big story. It's often about like drag queens and, you know, transgender stuff, but it's entertainment. And so I think if you think that these people are believing what they're saying, go to your point tone, go and look at what came out in Discovery. That's right. Tucker Carlson essentially says, not essentially, Tucker Carlson says, Donald Trump is an idiot. <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, it's, I don't. It's, I don't. I don't know how you dispute that. Like, it's an email from Tucker Carlson. He has not. He doesn't deny it. It's you know that's what it is. So you have to understand what it is they're selling. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. They took uh, Dominion. Took the money. I think they could have made more money. I'd be interested in why they took what they took. But it's a big win. Yeah, those conversations. Would love to be a fly on the wall. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, we'll take a break. Chris will come back. Chris will talk about his book, the name of which is Power Players. He's brought a bunch of books over here, and by a bunch, I mean two. No, three. I even three. brought Nigel one. Okay, yes. that's good. I, it it I hurt read. me to give it to him for free. <laughs> I'm Tony Kornheiser. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is Daisy K. Meadows. It's such a fabulous name, Daisy K. Meadows. We've played her stuff before. She's a singer-songwriter from Carroll County in Maryland. Um, this is called Taking the Back Seat. She sent us a bunch of songs, and they're all lovely, really. Just beautiful. Yeah, I mean, she's she's better than I am. <laughs> okay. I mean, I don't sing for a living. If I did, really I like that voice. Dime. Daisy K. Meadows, Taking the Back Seat. Wouldn't you kill? We always talk about this, but wouldn't you kill to be able to sing and, and play like the piano. that guy? Yeah. I would just yeah. play the piano. I, that's the thing that I don't have that I love I love music. music so much and I can't sing a lick. I'm no Michael. 
<clears throat> Michael can sing. Yeah. The voice of a generation. So I'm yes. looking. I'm looking at <laughs> uh, uh, Chris's music. It's called Power Players: Sports Politics in the American Presidency by Chris Saliza. And on the cover, Barack Obama is taking a left-handed basketball shot. George W. Bush is winding up to deliver a pitch. John Kennedy has a golf club in his hand, and Donald Trump <laughs> is raising the hand of a WWE. Bobby Lashley, yeah, yes, something like that. Open the inside of the jacket. Open the inside of. The no, there's just great little teases as to some of the stories that you're going to find. Well, that's why we Chris is here, so we wanted to. I I didn't write that copy, but it's pretty good copy. All right, tell us about the book. Tell us why you wrote it, and then I'll get into the questions that are meaningful. As people know who listen to the show, I care about two things more than anything else, sports and politics. So I was trying to figure out, also my wife. Sorry, I should have probably put that in there. Uh, sorry. Uh, I was, also my wife. Uh, that's not the so best. Great. Good if, thing is, she's not a listener. She doesn't listen. Yeah, give your kids something <laughs> to work towards. Exactly. Somehow. All right, kids, try to break the top three. Mm. Um, oh, the top ten. Yeah, good point. Uh, so I was trying to find a way to write uh, about those two things smartly. Um, what I didn't want to do, and we've talked about this on the show many times, is anytime you write about politics, it feels as though you alienate half the country with your first word. So I was trying to find a way to write something that was about politics, but not a polemic for one side or the other. So this was what I took to be the sweet spot, which is... Um, a book that looks at the sports presidents played, the sports presidents watched, the sports they loved, and what it tells us about them. So again, this is a book that if you don't want to read about politics and the polarizing nature of it, this is not like why Democrats are bad or why Republicans are bad. It it doesn't touch on the personal politics of any of these guys. It's really about them through the lens of sports. So um, if you're going to do this book and actually talk to them, there's only uh, well, Jimmy Carter mm-hmm. is alive. Um, Barack Obama is alive. Donald Trump is alive. George W. Bush is alive. Bill Clinton is alive. Yes. Did you talk to all? I certainly tried to talk to all. None of them got back to me. Thanks so much for that. Really? Mm. So, yes. so none of them got back no. to me. So I was going to say who was the hardest get, but they well, were all the hardest the, get. I mean, Carter was virtually impossible because of his health. I, sure. I was... Right. Bill Clinton, we got close to. Barack Obama, we got close to. George W. Bush, we got close to. Beyond that, it, 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 Donald Trump and I don't have a relationship where he's going to call me. Mm. It's unlikely. It's not impossible, <laughs> given Donald Trump. Um, I did not talk to them. Um, I wanted to talk to them. We are working on, this is TBD, we are working on a documentary uh uh, with a network that will go unnamed at the moment, um, but a potential documentary that I would hope that, uh, off the book, that I would hope that we'd be able to get them for. One of the complicating things was it was during COVID. It was sort of hard to get them. It was hard to, they, they it was, I was doing a lot of the stuff during COVID. So it was a challenge to get them. I don't think I would have loved to have them, period. I, I would have loved to have a word from them, a, a quote from them. Um, I don't think the book suffers from it. I I don't think you read through it and think, man, I wish I had heard from Barack Obama on this. I talked to, like a lot of people who write these biographies who don't get the main player, I talked to a ton of people around Obama. I talked to Reggie Love, his body man, uh, about playing, organizing. Former basketball player at Duke. Former basketball player at Duke and football player at Duke. Yeah. Um, uh, about organizing that he was the main lead person organizing the basketball get, pickup games for Obama, both during the campaign and during the White House <clears throat> years. Uh, I talked to David Axelrod a lot about Obama's 49th birthday party where Chris Paul and LeBron and Kobe and Joakim Noah, obviously Obama is a, a Bulls fan, Shane Battier all played with him. 
and how he played, which was apparently quite well. Talked to uh, people about his game in golf. Uh, you know, how good is he? I mean, you would obviously be able to speak to this better than I, uh, but how good is he? What's his sort of nature on the course? He he had an, a, an aide for a long time who was an extremely good golfer um, who uh, he played with. I talked to him. So I talked to a lot of Marvin. people. Uh, I did not talk to you Marvin, talk, okay. I, I, but I talked to a guy, David Katz, who was okay. uh, uh, played in college, played with Obama, helped organize Obama to get lessons. I didn't even know that Obama took lessons in the White House, but he took lessons from a guy who drove from Florida to give him lessons, which is kind of interesting. Um, so I talked to a lot of people around those people, which I felt was, it is not the same as talking to the principals. I, again, would have loved to do that. We're still efforting to do that with this documentary. Um, but I think you get a pretty robust picture of these people and who they are and sort so of what they care my about. My sense of this is that in the world... Now, I don't think you can get elect, be elected president if you're not conversant with sports. No. I, I just don't think you can. Totally I agree. say this, and I don't want to sound too sexist here, but I say this about women who run as well. I, I think you have to know sports. I think the language of leisure time uh, is sports totally in America. Agree. I think that the betting things with FanDuel and... DraftKings and all of that. Where my overdog's at. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Puts more emphasis on sports. And I think those days where you could take the position, PTI, what's that? I think those days are gone. Am I being pointed enough on that? Um, and, And my casual walk up to a bunch of people, some of whom were president of the United States, were always about sports. Always about sports. And I'm going to start with Elder Bush mm-hmm. and Clinton and next Bush mm-hmm. and Obama and Trump and Biden as well. Although I've never met Biden. I've met the others. Sports was the language that's a, it's that a they common language spoke. that's exactly what i was just gonna say it's a right? common yes and and i would they don't say watch news on i've had this said to me by more than one person who's been in that office we don't have to watch that we're in the room <laughs> we know what happened so we watch espn i mean it'd be like you watching a show about this show we were there (laughs) yeah yeah um i think it i think i use the the phrase common language in the book and i think that's exactly it i would argue you know you say someone couldn't be elected with without that sort of ability to speak that language i think that now i think that's always been true um, the only, I did Eisenhower, I basically did. Did mod- Richard Nixon strike you as a guy who cared about sports? Yes. Okay. I didn't a, realize he that. He is a psycho fan. Yeah. Like been- mu- much more so. It's, I, I did some interview yesterday and they said, who, who is the best athlete as president? The answer to that's easy. It's Gerald Ford with, with, sure. with Bush. All American. Elder Bush as a second yeah, played, played at Yale. Yale. Yeah. Like a real guy, you know, wasn't an elite athlete, but was a good athlete. And then they said, and who is the biggest fan? And the biggest fan is by far is it Nixon. Nixon? Yes. I didn't know that. So <laughs> there's a great story. An AP reporter asks Nixon, I, I think just like to, to just try to engage him and get him to say something interesting, basically says like, who's your favorite uh, baseball player ever? Nixon takes this to heart. And he and David Eisenhower, who's his son-in-law, married to his his daughter, Dwight Eisenhower's uh, grandson, they go to Camp David. This is during Watergate. They go to they go to Camp David, and like and 
Haldeman and Ehrlichman, they're all in on helping Nixon come up with this list. And he goes like way, way overboard. So he comes up with four lists, 18, I think it's 1880 to 1930, American League, National League, and then 1930 to, you know, whatever, 69 or 71 when he was being asked the question. And he has not just like the starting lineups, he has like left-handed relief specialist. Really? And yes, he's he's a he's a huge fan. He and Ted Williams were really close. In 1969, Williams is in his first year as a manager of the Senators. Senators. Yeah. Nixon is in his first year as president. They have a really close relationship. He had a close relationship, strangely, maybe for people now, but wasn't as strange then, with Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson was a Republican. Yes. Uh, Jackie Robinson thought that Nixon, as vice president, said and did a lot of good things on civil rights. He eventually sours on Nixon over time. Um, before his death, though, he writes a, a letter to Nixon asking Nixon to speak out on civil rights again. You know, I mean, but yes, the, the only president, I would say, who didn't care about sports and was not great about faking it was LBJ. He only cared about politics. Like everyone I talked to about Lyndon Johnson said like his his sports were politics. Like he that's what he was good at. That's what he cared about. He the only way he used it was transactionally. So Richard Russell, the Senate majority leader from Georgia, Nix, uh, Nixon, Johnson knew two things about him. He's a bachelor and he loved baseball. But Russell didn't want to go to baseball games by himself because he thought it's kind of weird. Like I'm a prominent figure just sitting alone in the stands is odd. So Johnson, who knows nothing and cares nothing about baseball, is like, let's start going to games together. So he can work them. So that, and that, that relationship winds up being hugely important to Johnson's future. And But it's purely transactional. Johnson doesn't care about baseball in any way, shape, or form. I'm a, um, you know, I'm a sports writer. That's all I ever wanted to be was a sports writer. Uh, what did I resent most when I worked at newspapers? And I worked at three great newspapers. I have the best, I got the best resume in the world. I got Newsday, the New York Times, and the Washington Post. Nobody's got NB. Nobody's got better. Pretty. Yeah. Nobody's pretty got better. Good. Okay. All right, yeah. So, um, what did I resent most? I resented most the the uh, reporters who looked down on the sports section and called it the toy department and said, you know, what is it? What exactly is it that you do? You know. So Your I little always, games that you cover. I resented that. <laughs> I resented that, and I tell people this all the time that the difference. The essential difference in my career in the New York Times and the Washington Post is this. At the New York Times, when I was there, the editor-in-chief, managing editor, was Abe Rosenthal, and the next guy in command was Arthur Gelb. And they were brilliant people, and they were brilliant at their jobs. Didn't know anything about sports and didn't care about Mm -hmm. sports. So that when Sports Monday started in the mid-1970s, and they came up, and we were on a different floor, which often happens, sports departments, because it's the toy department, are often on a different floor. It was true floor. at the Washington Post when I was there, too. Yes. They were on a floor below. Different. Yep. So, you know, they came and they showed up for the birth of this new section, which is actually a revolutionary section in sports journalism. Uh, and they came up one day and they had on sport jackets and turtlenecks. And they didn't have a tie and a jacket because they thought this is what sports people do. And they started to curse. And it's, it's so awkward. I, can't, I can say it, but I won't say it on the air. It's so awkward when, when people curse and you think they're just doing it to ingratiate themselves. It comes out, the tone is wrong, the time is wrong, everything is wrong about it. At the Washington Post, the man who owned the paper, Don Graham, the man who ran the paper in my early years there, 
Ben Bradley, and the man who ran the paper in my later years there, Len Downey, love sports. Love. Love sports. Downey was a sports writer at Ohio State University. Bradley's father was an All-American football player at Harvard. Don Graham, if he could, would have bought the Nats. Love sports. Cared about the football. Cared about all of it. So they would wander back to the sports section and sit in George's office all the time, and we would all go in and talk to them. So it, it, it was a world safe for sports. And my, the figures in my life who I respect the most all had a, a love of sports. I, I think that I think you're 100% right about the way that sports was looked upon by capital J journalists. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, they looked right down their nose. That's why, that's why I was so thrilled when George Will, of all people, I found out he loved baseball. Yep. You know, made me happy. But I think that's a huge mistake. The, the, the idea that, oh, sports is just like a little thing that they oh, do. Oh, anybody I mean, can do you, it. Really? If you, if you look at, and if you look at what the common thread between great athletes and great politicians, it's this like almost awkward sense of competition. They're hugely competitive. They they are focused Wins on winning and losses. That's it. And there's a very common thread there. And I think understanding great athletes helps you understand great politicians and vice versa. Uh, there's very much a, a a similarity there. They are driven to perform in a public space. Right. They're not trying to win privately. They're trying to win publicly. They're driven to perform in a public space. And it is about winning and losing. And that's it's about beating someone or being beat by someone. And I think that that drives the, so much of them. The difference in sports and politics is when you lose in baseball, you get a game the next day. When you lose in football, you get a game the next week. When you lose in politics, it's years, kids. Yep. Two years at yeah, a minimum. It's years. It's years. Plug your book again. Uh, it is called Power Players, uh, Sports, Politics, and the American Presidency. You can get it anywhere books are sold. I read the audiobook, so I'd steer you away from that. You don't, <laughs> you don't want that. Uh, but please check it out. I think it's it's a 350-page read. It is not onerous, uh, and I think it is great for dads and grads. That is what we are. Dads and grads, as we head into June. Yes. Uh, Thank you for the opportunity. Oh, it's my pleasure. Um, So we will have Mark Feinstein when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. We have played music by Annalise Marie before as well, and we're playing music by Annalise Marie again. Um, She's from Virginia. She's only 16 years old. This is called Thinking Twice. She's got a beautiful voice. Michael, if people like Daisy K. Meadows and Annalise Marie want to send in their music for us to play on the air, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonycornizershow.com. Are we selling anything? Uh, yes, TK Blossom, still available at johnnyo.com. Uh, we're, Chris and I are wearing the vest this oh, morning. Yeah. Yeah. A little chilly out there, but uh, it's time to start looking to upgrade the uh, the shorts and the uh, polos for the spring. Yeah, uh, see if you can get the ones that that amateur kid, Sam Bennett. Sam Bennett, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Texas A&M. They don't fit Love him. Love it. They, they don't go down to size. Yeah, I mean, he's got to go one he's size on, He's a medium. Yeah, he is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway. All right. 
Mark Feinstein joins us now. We're going to. I, I, I started the show just attacking the Nats for last night. I'll get to that in a while. I'm not going to get to it now. A headline for me DeGrom got hurt again. DeGrom went four hitless innings and they pulled him and he had, I guess, a wrist problem. And DeGrom said, Look, it's a long season. You know, I'm just being cautious. Jacob DeGrom is in his mid-30s, isn't he, Mark? I mean, Jacob DeGrom, look, I sit here, nobody in Washington has any expectation that Steven Strasburg will ever pitch another inning. No, we, we, we don't. It's not going to happen. But Jacob DeGrom gets hurt like Anthony Davis gets hurt, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, DeGrom's, you know, that was the reason why the Mets were comfortable letting him go. Uh, is, you know, for, for the contract he got, the length of it, five years, and the amount of money for a guy who, when he pitches, he's probably, arguably, the best pitcher in the game, yeah. but he just doesn't pitch enough, right? You know, 12 starts last year, uh, not, not many more the year before. He, you know, he just is, is always out. And he left to start uh, as a precaution. He said he fully anticipates to make his next start, but I think he always fully anticipates making that next start. Uh, but it's sort of a hold-your-breath thing with him. And, uh, you know, the Mets pivoted and got Verlander, who's got his own injury problems right now. But the Rangers were a team that said, okay, we got Seager, we got Simeon, we got some guys that can hit, nobody can pitch. They're a team that had to uh, go out there and, and take that risk on DeGrom. Uh, and if the risk, you know, comes up bad, that's going to be a problem for them. But, uh, you know, that's, that's Jacob DeGrom. That's the experience you have now when you have him on your roster. He's not a kid. He's won, no. like, two or three Cy Youngs. His career victories are probably about 105, right? He's never there. Yeah, well, and, and even when, he was win, and when he's won the Cy Young, it's been with, like, 13 wins. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, he, he infamously was a, uh, one of those guys who never, never got run support from the Mets. Uh, you know, he would lose, like, five one nothing games a year. Uh, but, yeah, he's going to be 35 in June. So... Um, <laughs> And, and actually, you, you were overshooting there. He's, uh, he's got 83 career wins. Unbelievable. People are going to make the case for him as a Hall of Famer. Absolutely make the case. You're going to yeah, say he's and, the most and, dominant and guy out there. What? And a legitimate case. He's won a rookie of the year. He's won two Cy Youngs. He's got another top three finish. Um, and, you know, for uh, the better part of a decade, he's been one of the best pitchers in the game. Uh, but, yeah, but that just shows you also the era in which we are uh, talking about the thing that will keep him potentially from being a Hall of Famer is the innings because um, you can argue the win total and say, oh, bullpens blew it or teams didn't score runs for him. He had a 2.5 ERA, um, but he's only got 1,346 career innings. And when you think about the guys who have gotten into the Hall of Fame without the milestone 300 numbers and the the 3,000 numbers that we always think about, you know, those guys have thrown 3,000 innings, 3,500 innings. Um, you know, they've been horses who have been out there yes. time and time again. Right now, he's got 1,346 innings. So, you know, let's give him 150 innings a year for the next five years. That gets him just past 2,000. It'll be interesting whenever his time comes up to, uh, to figure out whether that is, is enough for a new, uh, a new Hall of Famer. He's Zion Williamson. That's who he is. You can't count on him. When he's out there, my God, he's good. But you can't count on him, right? You can't. Well, that's, uh, that's a little unfair. Zion Williamson has played like six games in the NBA. Uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Zion and, and Williamson. Never, never won anything. I mean, Jacob DeGrom's got two Cy Youngs and, and, and four all-star appearances and has pe- pitched the Mets to a World Series. I, 
you know, yeah, but Zion Williamson's Williams only 23 years old. Like, he's got a chance by the time he's 30 to at least do something. He just never plays. What yeah, is what I, is I the? Think, I think if he's 30, we can say Zion Williamson is the new Jacob DeGrom. Okay. But I think the, the reverse is probably a little unfair to DeGrom at this point. Uh, let's talk about uh, Fernando Tatis coming back. That ringworm finally went away for him. <laughs> 80 games worth of ringworm. Uh, it's a two-part question. What are the expectations? The Padres aren't very good right now. What are the expectations? And do you think the Padres are looking to unload this guy because they think he's more trouble than he's worth? I don't think so. I think that they're, they're, they believe that he's going to come in and, and I don't want to use the word savior, but he's going to come in and give them a real boost that they need um, because this guy, we forget how talented he is because we haven't seen him on a baseball field in almost two years uh, with injuries and everything else. Um, but this guy went out there and uh, in his rehab assignment just reminded everybody of just how good he is. Uh, and I understand it's a minor league and you can't read too much into it, but if you think he's not you know, jumping at the opportunity to get back, uh, I think he was like 11 for 16 with six home runs in his last three rehab games. He's, he's chomping at the bit and they need him. Uh, you know, and and he was their shortstop of the future until he wasn't. Right and now, he's an outfielder, and you know what? He's perfectly athletic to do be a really good outfielder. He's obviously a great bat. Um, I don't think there's any any question about that. And I think people forget how young he is. We've we've talked about him for a long time, um, but Fernando Tatis Jr. is still you know 24 years old. Yeah, he just turned 24 in January. So. Uh, no, I don't think they're. I don't think they're looking to get rid of him. I think they're looking for him to come back and and finally get some return on the investment that they've made. By the way, I had no idea Max Fried was out since the opening game against the Nats. I had no idea. Yep, that was uh, that was one of those first you know opening day injuries, and he just came back. I mean, it's only three weeks. You figure uh, it's not such a bad a bad stint, but he came back and, and showed everybody, hey, look, I'm Max Fried and I'm healthy, and this is what what I'm going to do. And the one thing about the Braves, the way that their team has gotten off to a start, they didn't even miss them, right? They're they're fourteen and four. They're in first place, and now they just added their ace back to their rotation, and uh, that that team is really remarkable. And do you, I'm sure you I don't believe have in to them? Tell you that you believe in I Atlanta? I do, and you look at the moves that they've made. I mean, you know. I think the A's would like to have Sean Murphy and Matt Olson on their team right now. Oh, wait, they were both on their team before. Um, you know, the, the trades Alex Anthopoulos has made have been outstanding. They've locked all these guys up to these long-term deals. Spencer Strider is the real deal. I mean, you look at a rotation with Strider and Freed. Now, Freed's the one guy they haven't locked up, and he's got a big year to, to you know, keep, keep doing what he does to try to get that money, uh, and that's, you know, that's obviously motivation for him, but... You look at the guys they still have coming up. I do believe in the Braves. Alex Anthopoulos has built a, a machine there. Do you believe in Tampa? And I would point out that Tampa played one winning team, Toronto, and lost, I think, two out of three to the one winning team they played. The incredible coincidence of playing nothing but last-place teams at the beginning of the season leads the que- to the question, do you believe in Tampa? I don't believe in Tampa as a 13-0 first-place undefeated team, obviously. Right. Uh, but I always give them the benefit of the doubt uh, that they're going to be in this race, and obviously getting out to a 13-game start the way they did helps them give them a little wiggle room to have a slump here and there. Um, they're good. They, they don't have the household names. They don't have the you know the guys who are going to be blanketing the all-star ballots. Um, but every year that front office finds a way with you know 60 or 70 million dollars or whatever yeah. their number is every year to find talent 
and to make it work and to bring up guys from the minor leagues and they're just a, a development machine over there. Uh, you know, they're in a tough division. They've got the Yankees, they've got the Blue Jays, they've got the Orioles. Even the Red Sox are showing a little uh, a little life this year. So the American League East is going to be really tough. Um, but the Rays are going to be every bit in that race because they're they're just they're talented up and down the lineup. They're talented up and down their pitching staff. Even though your casual baseball fan will look at their lineup and say, "Who?" Yeah, they do it without a lot of money. Um, Oakland did it for a long time without a lot of money, and Oakland may be the worst team of all time this year, right? I mean, it's, it's yeah. Well, over. they traded all their they traded all their talented guys. Matt Chapman's having a MVP caliber year over in, over in Toronto so far. Yeah, and Olson, Olson and Murphy each have OPS. Why are they a team? Why doesn't baseball say we can't really have this? We can't have it. It's no good. Well, I think it's going to come down to whether or not they're able to get a ballpark. I don't think they're going to. No. Uh, they've exhausted every option to try to get a new stadium in Oakland, uh, and it just hasn't happened. And I think, I think MLB will ultimately watch the move to Las Vegas and become a successful franchise there. Mm-hmm. You know, with a new baseball stadium, and um, you know, I know that every year at the All Star Game, uh, Rob Manfred does a Q and A with the baseball writers. Uh, at our BBWA meeting. And every year, uh, John Shea from the San Francisco Chronicle stands up and says, uh, Rob, you know my question. It's uh, what's going on with the Oakland ballpark. And yeah. it's always one of the, uh, you know, it, you can see it in Manfred's face. He's just like, oh, my God, I just want this to end. Uh, and it's been going on for years. And I think at some point in the near future, it will come to an end. And if they don't, if Oakland doesn't step up with the new ballpark, they will watch the third you know, the third major professional sports team leave their area uh, in a matter of, you know, a decade or so with following the Raiders and Warriors. And uh, and that's going to be sad because Oakland's a great baseball town and really has a great fan base. But no matter how big of a fan base you are, if you're watching the product that's on the field right now, there's not a whole lot of incentive to go to games. It sort of reminds me of the football team in your backyard there. That's right. Uh, as passionate as that fan base can be, and I am a member of that fan base, uh, why Why are you going to spend your hard-earned money to go to a game if you don't expect the product to be worth the price of admission? So, um, you know, the A's did a lot with a little for a long time. They still have a very smart front office. They've got some really good young talent in their pipeline, um, but something's got to give in terms of the stadium to make that sort of right. a viable situation. All right, I'll get you out of here on this, the comparison between the Nats and the O's. As for a while, the Nats were ascending and the O's were descending, and now it is the reverse what do you make of that? Well, I make of it that Michael Elias is uh, a really, really smart GM who watched and helped build up that Houston team from the inside with drafts and uh, and, and really developing you know solid stars in the making. Uh, and he went to Baltimore and tore the whole thing down and, and did the same thing. And when you look at the young guys on that roster, you know Adley Rutschman is already a superstar. Um, you know, Ryan Mountcastle is a big hulking first baseman who can uh, bash the ball. Gunnar Henderson's their their young third base prospect who's up in the majors now. Um, you know, Cedric Mullins has become a, a big time player there. Uh, and then you've and then you've got some pitchers too, like Grayson Rodriguez came up, and uh, people were excited about that. And the thing is, they still have the number one farm system in the game, even with all these guys now in the big leagues. So they've really built this up. I think ultimately, what you're going to see is sort of like we saw with the Cubs uh, back in 2015 or 14, 
when you saw Bryant and Rizzo and Schwarber and all these guys on the way and getting there, and then they went out and supplemented it with John Lester. You know, they went out and got that one big free agent who sort of made the difference, and I could see the Orioles doing that. The Nats are in a different situation. Look, they won a World Series four years ago. The Orioles haven't won a World Series in a lot longer than that. So would you trade the four years ago World Series for a a rebuilding project now that you had to watch uh, all these guys walk out the door because they were getting too expensive? Probably, right? You you, you have that World Series T-shirt and cap, and you can still wear that, and it's pretty fresh. Um, So the Nationals have done a good job of some of their trades. They're a top-ten farm system now as well. And so I think the hope is that, you know, maybe a year or two years from now, they're sort of in that position where some of these guys like James Wood, like Elijah Green, uh, like Brady House, guys who are in A-ball right now, you know, maybe 25, 26, they are up in the big leagues and and making the impact that guys like Rutschman are making now for Baltimore. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. That at least gives me some hope. I had no hope this morning. I appreciate that. (laughs) I appreciate that. Mark Feinstein, boys and girls, we will take a break. We'll come back with email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Here comes Tony's, Tony's mailbag. He got your emails, faxes, and your notes. He's gonna read some mail for all. Tom Goddard. Don't you wish you could do that, Chris? I really do. Yeah. That was that was bluesy. Who doesn't wish they could do that? Yeah, that was great. You want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad for us? Yes, Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you will be thrilled. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say you got a smile so bright, you know you could have been a candle. I'm holding you so tight, you know you could have been a handle. The way you swept me off my feet, you know you could have been a broom. And baby, you smell so sweet, you know you could have been some perfume. You could have been anything that you wanted to, and I can tell the way you do the things you do. That's The Temptations. That's one of the great songs of all time. The single best lyric in that song is this. If good looks were a minute, you know that you could be an hour. That is a brilliant, (laughs) brilliant line. Thanks to our guest today. Thanks for Chris to come in and sell his book, Power Players, and Mark Feinsand. Thanks to our sponsors today, Grammarly, Simply Safe, and Indochino. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. Get the show through Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. Um, where's my notes here? Okay, here we go. Eric Serkin in Edina, Minnesota. On the show the other day in the mailbag, did you say David Whitehead uh, is in a photo from... The Navy of 30 years ago. That oh. David Whitehead is probably not a little, but he was my commanding officer in 2009 in Hawaii. Please tell Leslie Thomas that if she wants to recreate the photo with Dave Whitehead, he's the current commanding officer of Naval ROTC at the University of Memphis. And please let him know that Eric Serkin says hello and made the connection. If you need photos of him, I probably have some from Hawaii in 2009 because my wife Annie was his ombudsman. <laughs> um, from Neil McKillop. 
Neil McKillop is going to yell at me at this. People are going to like this in Lovettsville, Virginia. All this learning to play piano talk finally prompted me to write. My parents have always taught me to be thankful for what you have in life. Well, in this case, you have a piano, and that's where it ends. Despite the optimistic encouragement from Ms. McManus and Ms. Clark, who are we kidding here? For you, the time for learning piano has expired. <laughs> Having said that, you can always do the next best thing. Find someone who can do the thing you want to do, watch them do it, and hate them for it. It is on that note that I'd like to send you a box of that, so to speak. I'd like to cordially offer you tickets to see the show in which I regularly perform at Bobby McKee's Dueling Piano Bar at National Harbor in Maryland. It's an all-request extravaganza where you can hear all your favorites from the Beatles to Jimmy Steinman to the Beach Boys, and yes, we can probably even scrounge up the rascals. Unfortunately, however, you may also have to endure some of today's most popular chart-topping favorites, or as you refer to them, junk. <laughs> Seats will be waiting, however, if you prefer the standing room only section with your hip and all. That can be arranged as well. While it's not a country club golf course, the show is a hoot. Think Chopin meets stand-up comedy meets the chimp scene from 2001 A Space Odyssey. Great music, four-letter words, and a TK salute. How can you go wrong? All I ask in return is the honor of being named the official dueling pianist of the Tony Kornheiser Show. Isn't that nice? They came to Chatter. They sent the photo. That's lovely. Um, uh, and and he, he also writes, while I haven't officially been on the Chuck and Roxy yet, I am Chuck and Roxy-ish. So that's very nice. Dueling pianos is a great bit. Yes. Yeah. It's solid. From yeah. Murray Moman. Yeah. Who writes, so you want to be Victor Borga? I'll hang up and listen. <laughs> Nobody remembers Victor Borga but me, the, the Danish piano player. Nobody remembers. Who's a comedian great. as well. Uh, from JH in Portland, Maine. Great shows lately about how to cook a chicken. Wow, your show has really come a long way. Here's a suggestion for the next Little Games. What does your neighbor do? It's funny. Patrick Sitter in Sioux Falls. On Wednesday, I was prepping for a colonoscopy. You know, clear liquid diet, drinking the solution from hell, etc. Mm. Because of the need to stay close to the porcelain chariot, I was not planning any activities. I was hoping Wednesday's show would provide some brightness to an otherwise dismal day, but what do I get to listen to? Food channel fodder. <laughs> Impeccable timing for someone in the midst of a foodless foray. First, there was the chicken chit-chat, followed by the bagel banter, then more chicken chit-chat. At one point, I even heard you chewing on a bagel. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm chewing on water because I'm starving. <laughs> it's lovely, lovely, lovely. Um, Ray Williams writes, I love a great chimichurri. Is that how it's pronounced? Yes. Uh, but have not found anything great online. There always seems to be something lacking. Is there any chance Michael can share his recipe? If it's good enough for him, it has to be the best. Yeah, it, it changes every time. Well, my big uh, piece is whether you're using red onion or a shallot to let that marinate a little bit in the vinegar that you're going to use. It'll soften it up. Then you start putting in a little bit of garlic and some freshly chopped parsley. I If I have a little cilantro left over, I'll put that in as well. A little oregano, a little mm. red pepper. Peanut butter. Fantastic. <laughs> My name right? is Anthony. I'm a loyal little Chunky. from Claymont, Delaware. This past weekend, I was in Georgetown to be a guest of a close friend's wedding. My first time in D.C. since maybe an elementary school trip in the 90s. The David Aldrich moments were plenty, like seeing Wisconsin and Connecticut Avenue or road signs for Columbia. It was all a joy, but no other joy beat out the joy of eating Bethesda bagels Sunday morning after all the libations the previous day. I ordered a bagel sandwich, latkes, and a coffee. Nigel was correct. I was thrilled. I'm so happy I was able to cross that off the bucket list. You will be thrilled. <laughs> From Steve Gabor in Fort Smith, Arkansas. So I got in my car yesterday. I asked Google to take me to the nearest nail store. While I ended up getting a great manicure, my deck is still in disrepair. Am I doing something wrong? No, that's how you do From it. Andy Pasternak in Reno, Nevada. My propane tank is empty. Can you give me Pablo's number? That's fun. <laughs> That's funny. From Bill Ansel in Upland, California. I just heard on the radio that Bryce Young's draft coach is John Beck, so I guess Bryce must be getting better <laughs> every, every day. day. Uh, from Sam Hillier in San Diego. A few months back, you mentioned 
that you met Carvel's sports investor at a dinner and gave his website, aclsports.com, a plug. Like any responsible degenerate gambler, I immediately followed his Twitter. His Twitter is very informative, so it's casual sports better. But there is one betting tip that every little should know about, and that's Patrick Corbin Day. Every time Patrick Corbin pitches, ACL Sports tweets, Happy Patrick Corbin Day to all those who celebrate. What this means is you bet the over for total runs in the first five (laughs) innings. Sunday's game had an over-under run total of 4.5 for the first five innings. The over was a winner by the fourth inning with two to spare. The same exact thing happened in Corbin's previous start against the Angels. The over hit with plenty of wiggle room. I just wanted to pass this information along to all the littles and maybe a couple of bigs like Chuck Todd. Let's all celebrate Patrick Corbin Day, a holiday that comes once a week and cashes winning tickets. <laughs> and from Dina in Damascus, who was episode 53 with Chuck and Roxy. The connective money. tissue of the show is amazing, but something that isn't talked about as much are the friendships that have developed from this nominally about sports radio show turned podcast show. Some of my best friends, the people I turn to in times of stress, the people who make the world seem a better place, the people who can make me laugh like no others. They're people I have met only because of your show. Thank you. If you're out on your bike tight, everyone, as always, do wear white. Yo, Chris, what's going on, man? I, I, I'm going to show you nothing but love. Uh, it's your guy, Eric Demondorf. 